Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio at the start of what is shaping up to be another big week in the world of international events. Over the weekend, we've had the news that President Joe Biden wants to remove Vladimir Putin, not just from Ukraine, but from power in Russia altogether. We've had the White House denying it within hours, insisting that the Biden administration is certainly not looking for the dreaded regime change, because that's never worked terribly well in the past, really, has it? We've also had Prince William, the heir to the throne, saying he's not sure there's even going to be a Commonwealth by the time he inherits the crown. You may well be right about that. We talked about this, of course, on Friday, and we'll be exploring that a little bit further on with Angela Levin. And we've also finally seen something interesting happening at the Oscars. Will Smith marched on stage and slapped compare Chris Rock because he made a joke about his wife. Predictably, of course, half the population think it was staged. We'll be checking in with security specialist, a man who knows a thing or two uh, about slapping people, punching people, uh, taking people down uh, and using all forms of self-defence. We shall see uh, what the deal is with Will Smith and Chris Rock. Some people think he should be prosecuted. I'm not one of them. 0344 499 1000. First up this morning, we're talking to Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, on where we are this week with regard to the illegal migrant crossings. That's right. There's still thousands and thousands of people coming here against our will, not against their own will, because they want to have a better life. Well, that's great. But why are we paying for it? That would be my question. We'll find out what's going on with the Ukraine refugee crisis, because as far as we understand it, only about a thousand refugees from Ukraine have actually made it to these shores so far. Amid all sorts of tales of gazumping middle class wannabes, people who say, well, I was going to offer a place to somebody, but they actually gave me uh, the cold shoulder because they found somewhere better. Really? How extraordinary. Just as I said before, a lot of people saying they want to do something they don't really want to do. Uh, we'll also find out what's going on with the Northern Ireland protocols, with the Brexit debate, of course, as well. And we'll also see what Ben's got to say about the soaring cost of living. Peter Hitchens is here as well with his takes on the events of the weekend. He wrote a piece uh, in Hit the Mail on Sunday in his column about the Chancellor's budget. He said, of course, if you've been listening to him a couple of years ago, he would have said, I told you so because all the money that he said we were spending has now come home to roost. We'll also talk about the whys and wherefores of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And more than likely, uh, a certain video may come up uh, in which uh, some people say it shows war crimes being committed 
by Ukrainian soldiers. Nobody really has any idea if it's genuine. Nobody can prove it one way or the other. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. You tell us what's going on and we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 We'll also be asking the question about a hospital uh, in this country, right? Because hospitals in this country are still running as if COVID is an out-of-control pandemic. We'll be speaking to a man uh, who had to visit his son in hospital at the weekend after something happened to him. However, the problem is they're still saying one visitor for one hour for one day at a time only. So when his mother turned up, she wasn't allowed in to see her own son. Unbelievable stuff. We'll find out what is going on in the NHS. Not very much common sense, it would seem to me. 0344 499 1000 is the number. There's all sorts going on. You know what to do. It's the home of common sense. Why would you be anywhere else? It's Talk Radio. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So much going on this morning. I mean, lots of people getting very worked up about this uh, Oscars ceremony thing. Let's just remember, these people are actors. It is the Oscars. It's a glamorous and glitzy occasion. Uh, I'm all I'm all for it being livened up uh, by Will Smith giving Chris Rock a slap. Um, I don't really care whether he's prosecuted or not. I don't really think he should be. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on with Will Gellies. Let's first, first, though, to Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP, of course. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Let's talk, I suppose, first of all, um, about the refugee crisis from Ukraine. You and I have spoken about this in the past, uh, and I know what your views are. I think they're pretty similar to mine. The people of this country might well be uh, a generous of spirits, but there are still an awfully large number of people coming here from northern France um, who don't appear to be uh, fleeing a war zone, who are costing us upwards of £5 million a day. Uh, and I would have to say that the fact that only a 1,000 people have come here from Ukraine uh, is probably testament to that. It, it absolutely is. You know, we've had 4,000 people this year come across from France. And, you know, it, it's hard to keep up the fight on it uh, almost because the Prime Minister and Priti Patel are so slow in actually delivering the promise that they repeatedly make that they're going to get a grip of this problem. You know, we've had a number of harebrained ideas like buying up dinghies to prevent them from being able to get access, um, the Coast Guard pushing back dinghies, uh, towing them back to France. Um, we've had the very sensible idea of the Nationality and Borders Bill, but that seems to be stuck in Parliament and can't make its way through. That would improve matters a little bit. And we've also had this massive payment across to France, which, um, you know, doesn't seem to yield results. And this is all by a government that has, you know, got elected partly on a promise to take back control of our borders. And it's not just technical, theoretical control that we want. We want practical, enforced control. And mm. that means getting a grip of these boats coming across from the north of France. And you know, I just don't understand it because we've got an 80 seat. The prime minister has an 80 seat majority. Why doesn't he use it to institute the Nationality and Borders Bill to start with, get that through Parliament, speed it up and take any other action he needs to take in order to be able to get a legal grip of this situation? It seems complete political ineptitude that two and a half years on into this Conservative government, we still haven't controlled this problem that goes on and on and on. Yes, and there doesn't seem to be any point in listening anymore to Pretty Patel on this subject, does there, Ben? Because how many chances have we given her? How many times have we heard that this is going to change? How many, you know, 
different sort of you know scenarios as she painted you know one minute she's paying the french to stop them from coming the next minute she's withholding the money the next minute she's saying we're sending mortar force to northern france to intercept people getting into dinghy she says that we're stopping a lot more than than there are actually coming but the end result is we've got four times as many uh, having arrived here in the first three months of this year uh, than we had at the beginning of last year yeah, I mean, the government has obviously got itself tied up in knots over the legality of what it can and can't do. But I come back to the central point that it's got an 80-seat majority. It needs to take action. It needs to change whichever laws it feels it needs to change in order to make sure they get a grip of this problem. Um, and I, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It's not right for these, for, for these would-be um, refugees or immigrants, um, economic migrants, whatever they are. It's not good for them because they're coming across this dangerous crossing um, into a country where they may or may not be able to, you know, make ends meet. They may be sent back. It's a very, um, it's a very precarious position for them. And it's certainly not good for the country. You know, we don't want people coming in illegally. We want to control people coming into our country. That doesn't mean to say that we're going to turn our backs on genuine refugees who need our help and who take the appropriate legal steps to get here. But we must have proper control. And, you know, I just come back to this, that salient point, that salient promise on which the prime minister was elected. He is going to take control of our borders. So take control. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, not only do we not have control of the borders of the southeast of England, we don't appear to have control uh, of the border with the Republic of Ireland. We don't appear to have control uh, over any kind of border, whether it be one or not, between Northern Ireland and Scotland. Well, and that's another very important point you make, Mike. Um, you know, we are the first country in history to partition itself without a single shot being fired in defence of the people of Northern Ireland. Mm. We have the European Court of Justice being the supreme legal authority in Northern Ireland. We have Northern Ireland subject to hundreds of EU regulations and laws without any right of representation in the making of those laws. It is effectively taxation without representation. Mm. Um and we have a United States, while I'm on that subject, we have a United States that gained its independence because it, 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 you know, it stood up against taxation without representation. And here we have a U.S. backing the Republic of Ireland, backing the EU against giving the people of Northern Ireland their absolute human right to be governed by the institutions that they elect in Westminster. Yeah. And that is not what's going on. So we have this ridiculous situation where we haven't got control of our borders on the eastern flank of the United Kingdom, and we haven't got control of our borders on the western flank because we've effectively allowed Northern Ireland to be annexed. It, it, it's an absurd result from Brexit. And for the Prime Minister to repeatedly get up in the Commons and repeatedly thump his chest, if you like, and say, well, I got Brexit done, is such a misrepresentation. Because for as long as he hasn't got control of our borders, and particularly for as long as Northern Ireland remains in the European Union Customs Union and subject to all these laws and the subject to the supremacy of the European Court of Justice, he has not got Brexit no. done. I mean, I guess the problem, Ben, is that I haven't really got Brexit done. It's not much of a political slogan, is it? <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. But I, I, was in, I was in Northern Ireland at a rally on Friday night at which Sir Geoffrey Donaldson spoke, Kate Hoey spoke, uh, and Jim Allister, who's head of traditional unionist voice, spoke. Um, and everyone now, and this is a new thing, Mike, and the government really needs to take note, everyone now is not just calling for the protocol to go, the Northern Ireland Protocol, which gives effect to these horrible arrangements. What people are now calling for 
is for the Belfast Agreement itself to be ditched. And the reason they're saying that is because the Belfast, the cornerstone uh, advantage for the unionist community in Northern Ireland in the Belfast Agreement was the right for their consent to be taken before any constitutional changes would be made to that province. And actually, they've had this protocol foisted on them. They have seen the government refusing to invoke Article 16, which for listeners, I'll just quickly remind, remind people, Article 16 is this provision in the protocol, which allows the government to suspend it in the event that Northern Ireland is suffering or there's a diversion of trade. And Lord Frost, back, I think, in September last year, confirmed the conditions exist to invoke Article 16. But yet here we are six months on and the government still hasn't moved to protect the people of Northern Ireland. So the people of the unionists in Northern Ireland have had enough. They've had enough of the government dithering. They've had enough of the government selling them down the drain. And they're saying if the Belfast Agreement isn't able to protect them, if their consent is not taken as it should be for a constitutional change of this magnitude, then the Belfast Agreement needs to go. And the argument that they're making, which is very reasonable, is actually the Belfast Agreement came in at a time when the IRA were basically beaten. The only reason the IRA and Sinn Féin came to the table was because they were beaten. And they got all the concessions. You know, we've got this completely iniquitous situation, Mike, at the moment, where terrorists were forgiven. Terrorists joined the government immediately after the Belfast Agreement was signed. And yet British soldiers who were serving Queen and country over 40 years ago are being pursued for actions that they took. Now, when you've got that kind of injustice going on and you have this ex the existence of this horrible um, union-busting protocol, mm. you are going to get anger in the unionist community. And I don't think the Prime Minister is listening. He seems to think that with a degree, he said this, with a degree of pragmatism and common sense, we can sort out the protocol. He is wrong. It's not a degree of pragmatism and common sense that's required. Supreme political will to ditch that mm. protocol is required. He needs to get a grip of it. He needs to do it fast because actually he is losing ground rapidly in Northern Ireland amongst the core support for the Union of the United Kingdom. And this is a prime minister who leads the Conservative and Unionist Party. Yes. He needs to get a grip of it. But it's the same strategy, it seems to me, Ben, as the one they're using in the channel. You know, they're sort of hopeful that something will change, sort of hopeful as though uh, circumstances will fall into their lap and make everything better. But there's no sign of that happening, either in the channel or in Northern Ireland. In fact, the more I look at Northern Ireland, the more I worry um, that he's playing into the hands of Sinn Féin uh, and into the hands of those who want the United Ireland. He is playing, playing into the hands of Sinn Féin. Um, the, the way this whole thing has been handled is almost certainly going to result in uh, a swing towards Sinn Féin and the forthcoming Stormont elections. And I hope against hope, Mike, that they do not get a majority. Because if they get a majority, the next thing they're going to do, and it, I, I, I don't think people in this country have really picked up on it, the next thing Sinn Féin will do is say that that effectively is a vote for a unified island, a, a, a reunified island, and they will be calling for a border poll. Mm. And then we will have the prime minister shrugging his shoulders, Brandon Lewis, who is completely inept, by the way, shrugging his shoulders and saying, 
oh, well, that's the democratic process. No, that was not the democratic process. The reason, it, it, if it happens, the reason it would have happened is because Northern Ireland has had this protocol foisted on it undemocratically, and the debate's been pushed towards Sinn Féin, and our government hasn't had the courage to do the right thing by Northern Ireland. Article 16 should have been invoked back, well, it should have been invoked the minute, frankly, the protocol came into yeah. existence. It certainly should have been invoked by now. Liz Truss is effectively now saying she's not going to invoke it until the Stormont elections are over. That is leaving the unionist community, the unionist parties, out to, to hanging them out to dry. Right. Not invoking it is hanging unionism out to dry. The very people who are loyal to this country are being trampled on. And that is unacceptable from a British government. Absolutely right. And what do you think is their motivation for this, Ben? I mean, why are they so reluctant to push it through? Why are they so reluctant to trigger Article 60? Why are they so um, uh, impossibly kind of riven by what's going on in the channel? And why can't they stop the migrants? I don't understand why they won't do it. I I think there is a degree of uh, just ineptitude in government and inability to genuinely get things done. My impression of this government is that we somehow survive as the United Kingdom in spite of the government, mm. not because of anything it does. And mm. if, you look at, if you look at its policies, the way they're made, I mean, take the cost of uh, living crisis that's coming our way. Everything is being done in a knee-jerk fashion. You don't see a coherent response. You've got the Bank of England raising interest rates to meet higher inflation, and you've got Rishi Sunak pumping money into the system, trying to mitigate the cost Uh, the cost increases. Those are two diametrically opposed forces. (laughs) Rishi Sunak is trying to stoke inflation, if you like, and the Bank of England's trying to sit on it. And there needs to be a coherent, uh, joined up set of contemplative, introspective policies made by government, taking into account what the United Kingdom needs. And that applies to the people coming across from France, it applies to Northern Ireland, it applies to the cost of uh, living crisis that's coming our way, it applies to everything that government does, but we don't have a government that that does that. We have a government that reacts in a knee-jerk fashion, makes up policies on the hoof, and then, you know, we as as the electorate have to somehow make ends meet in spite of their, in spite of what they do, rather than as as a result of what they do. It's really amazing. I wanted to talk to you about the uh, the cost of living and the spiralling cost of fuel and all the rest of it. Stay with us, if you would, Ben. We're talking to Ben Habib. We'll be back with him. And we'll be taking calls from you, of course, this morning as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Peter Hitchens coming up a little bit later on as well. We'll be talking about all matters to do with Ukraine, what's going on there, and also uh, what Rishi Sunak is up to and whether we can, in fact, get out of this dreadful spiral of inflation. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Fish, bosh, berserk. Full contact. Common sense conversation. Lively debate. Now with 0% drift and dither. Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's a very strange kind of haze, all even, uh, over the skyline of London this morning. I can only just about make out the tower uh, this morning, which may not be a bad thing. Um, I can't really see much beyond the city at all. Can't see Canary Wharf. Uh, I don't know what's going on. 
Is there another Saharan uh, blast coming our way? I remember last time this happened, uh, they blamed the Sahara. A load of sand coming through the uh, skies. We shall see uh, whether the light shines any brighter by the end of this show. Normally it does, because what we do uh, is we give you light and we give you hope. And we give you all sorts of reasons why you should be optimistic. But Ben Habib is here with us this morning. And I'm not sure, having heard the budget statement last week from Rishi Sunak, Ben, there's many reasons to be cheerful. Well, I mean, you know, just before the break, we were discussing how government seems to react in a knee-jerk fashion. Um, So let's just rewind a bit. Why do we have high inflation? The reason we've got high inflation is because the world effectively locked down for a couple of years. And during that time, supply chains were broken and fuel sources were allowed to run, fuel storage uh, was allowed to run dry. And just cast your mind back a couple of years ago, the oil price was on its knees, the gas price was down through the floor. Now, if a government had genuine farsightedness, genuine brains on its side, if you like, analyzing the effects of the policies it was making, it would have recognized that as we came out of lockdown, there would have been a resurgence of demand. And with supply chains broken, there would have been inflation. And there would have been an absolute draw of fuel like there hadn't been for the last two years. And so our reserves would have been required to have been topped up. The government didn't think ahead. The government unlocked without recognizing any of the inherent risks of unlocking in the way that it did. We unlocked with our gas reserves down close to nil, with, without any uh, built-up uh, storage of oil. And, of course, we have, because of this drive towards net zero, been turning our back on coal-fired, uh, uh, coal-fired uh, power stations and so on. And so the combination of government policy has left the United Kingdom devoid of resources at a time when you've had a real demand suddenly come onto them. And part of the problem here is this drive to net zero, which I think the prime minister has begun to see mm. the folly of. Yeah. You know, he, we are now hearing that they're going to issue new licenses uh, for extracting gas and oil from, from the North Sea. I mean, for goodness sake, we've got a resource there. Use it. Yeah. Um, they're beginning to rethink fracking. And we've got trillions of pounds worth of gas under our feet in the United Kingdom. And it's that kind of far-sighted policy making really that they should have been putting in place two years ago yeah. when we were in lockdown when actually things were quite quiet you know one of the great advantages of lockdown for government was that with the exception of the lockdown policies they could have thought through a hell of a lot of what was going to be required for the united kingdom when we came out of lockdown including how to deal with brexit yeah. and of well, course this say, fuel crisis i mean you would you might have thought that if you were preparing for brexit as well that you might you might have had a conversation about how much of a good idea it would be to be reliant and self-reliant on energy yeah I, I, absolutely but we've been ideologically driven on energy haven't we mike mm. we've been we've been pursuing this net zero and i think i've said on your program before the pursuit of net zero is taking place in advance of the technology that, it, that, that we would need in order to deliver it without significant economic harm. The pursuit of net zero by the West is at our own massive economic detriment at the moment. The technology doesn't exist to deliver it the way the prime minister wants it delivered. And so we haven't got joined up thinking. And I really hope that, 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 that this crisis has at least woken up the government, the reality that we are dependent on fossil fuels 
at least for the moment. And you take the European Union, for example, they recognize that they need gas. So what do they do? Instead of sort of slashing their economic wrists in the pursuit of net zero, they've, they've moved to make gas a green fuel. They've legalized <laughs> gra- gas right. under net zero. It's hilarious. Whereas in the UK, you know, we're going down this sort of economic self-harm in the pursuit of this ideological net zero without looking up over our shoulder to see what damage it's mm. doing to the economy. Yeah. I hope the prime minister has learned his lesson. The way to deal with the fuel crisis is simple. You, you have to have more fuel. It, it can't be dealt with by Rishi Sunak giving people 250 quid to meet no. their fuel bill. That doesn't help. We need more fuel coming into the system. We need greater supply. So what we rapidly need to do is pump those wells in the North Sea. We need to uh, uh, get fracking. Frankly, we need to get fracking. And we need also, and again, this is going to make some people's hair stand on end because of what I, you know, because of the ideological aspect of it. But we need to lean on Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and tell them we need you to Mm. get pumping while we sort out this Russian problem. And, you know, all of that needs to be take that all needs to take place. And, and sadly, it is now happening, but it's all happening a bit too late to head off the crisis that's coming our way. Yes, and the crisis which is already upon us as well. Ben, great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP there, making a great deal of common sense on the energy crisis, uh, on the migrant crisis uh, and on the protocol in Northern Ireland. All things that the government can fix, but seemingly won't fix. Who knows why? 0344-499-1000 is the number. Lots more to do, loads more to talk about. Let's get some news headlines. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB+. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense, the place to find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, You can watch us on TV, of course, as well. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, and now Amazon Fire TV as well. All you've got to do, go to the App Store, download the Talk Radio TV app, and you can go to talkradio.tv, and you can find it there as well. You can watch us on all manner of different devices. And coming up soon... Uh, will be breaking news for you. Uh, Talk TV will be upon us as well with all sorts of great shows uh, with Sharon Osbourne, uh, with Piers Morgan, uh, with Tom Newton Dunn and loads of other stuff going on uh, as well. Before we talk about the Oscars, by the way, which we're going to do very shortly uh, because of what happened there, Will Geddes is going to be joining us, international security expert, commentator, man that knows a thing or two about self-defence as well. Let me just give you a little taster uh, as to why the Labour Party still can't get it right about gender, right? Keir Starmer was asked today, this is his answer, by the way, today, can a woman have a penis? Here's what he said. I just don't think that discussing this issue in this way helps anyone in the long run. What I want to see is a reform of the law as it is, but I'm also an advocate of safe spaces for women and I want to have a discussion. Um, Anybody who genuinely wants to find a way through this, I want to discuss that with I do find that too many people, in my view, retreat or hold a position which is intolerant of others, and that's not picking on any individual at all, but I don't like intolerance. I like open discussion. Uh, sorry, uh, Sakir. Sorry? Does that mean yes or no? 
The question, remember, was, can a woman have a penis? He can't answer it. I mean, this is a bloke who wants to run the country. He wants to actually go into number 10 Downing Street. For heaven's sake, 0344 499 is the number. Poor old Keir Starmer. Just doesn't get it, does he? Now, before we talk to Will Geddes, you may or may not know about the big breaking story of the day, which is all about the Oscars, right? Finally, the Oscars actually had something interesting happen on the show. I did not stay up to watch it. Some people did. If you're one of them, I feel sorry for you, if that's what you think you should be doing. Because Will Smith, who ended up winning Best Actor Award, got a little bit upset when a joke was made by the host about his wife. (laughs) He is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, that was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh Uh-oh, Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the out of me. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. Awkward, wasn't it? Now, of course, the world being the way it is, lots of people think it was all fake, that it was all stunted and that it was all... Uh, a joke and made up and actually the slap wasn't really a slap and there's all sorts of analysis going on on social media as you would expect people going yeah of course it's not real well it looked pretty real to me Chris Rock looked pretty embarrassed he looked like he didn't know what to do he looked like he was floundering about and also Will Smith afterwards was pretty emotional crying apologizing you know a man on the edge perhaps let's talk to Will Geddes Will a very good morning to you very good morning to you, Mike. Now you've seen plenty of people being slapped and, and hit before what do you reckon you think it was a, a stunt No, I don't think it was a stunt at all. I think uh, the outburst by Will Smith afterwards from his chair after he'd been up and slapped Chris Rock, I think was pretty indicative of how fired up he was by the whole situation. And I've watched it a few times and I've seen a lot of people's comments on it. And I think uh, it it wasn't fake. Uh, Will is a nice guy. I know a lot of people who've worked with him who've... uh, professionally protected him he's a powerful man he's you know we've got to remember he was in muhammad ali yeah he's, he he's, he's been trained punch. yeah he's been trained how to how to how to box hasn't he i mean it looked like a bit of an open palm sort of hit with the fingers job though rather than actual with the palm of the hand yeah it was more of an insulting slap yeah. than it was actually a, an assault i suppose in some regards uh, but i think will did take it a little too far i think if he restricted to just his outbursts from his chair which he subsequently did then that would have got his point across. But I think he felt affronted, yes. certainly by the fact that it's quite well publicised that Jada has had a problem with autoimmune and also with alopecia. And I know right. alopecia. I had it for 10 years myself. Right. It's not nice. It's not really something to joke about, I suppose. But, I mean, the other problem, I suppose, for, for people in this kind of situation is you're sitting somewhere. I don't know whether he'd had anything to drink. He may not have done. He may not drink at all. But, you know, you can see that he's laughing at the joke and then you can then see that he realises what the joke is, almost as though... Because when he first says G.I. Jane, I don't think he realises what is being said. And then he, when he thinks about it, he goes, I'm not having that. Yeah, no, I think I think if you look at Jada's face, that tells you everything about how well-received that joke was. 
And I think it was probably the trigger point where Chris Rock said uh, that was a nice joke. Now, we've got to remember that there has been some history between Chris Rock and Will Smith and at a previous Oscars. Um, Chris Rock's made some pretty horrible comments, uh, both about Jada and also about Will Smith. So there is form there. There is some history. Yeah. And I mean, as far as the, um, the sort of authorities are concerned, I mean, a lot of people are asking me the question, should he be prosecuted? I don't think so. I mean, I know that you don't always need to have the um, agreement of the victim, if you like. But Chris Rock has already said he doesn't he's not interested in pressing charges or anything like that. I mean, that would be taking it far, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's a little excessive. I mean, it's down to the individual in assault situations. I think, no doubt, probably Will Smith will have to pick up the fine that ABC, you know, the broadcaster of the Oscars will no doubt have to pay because of the expletives that he he uttered, obviously, afterwards. But I think other than that, yeah, it was a, it was a humiliation retaliation. So, I mean, Chris Rock humiliated his wife. So Will Smith felt he had to go up and humiliate Chris Rock in front of everybody else. Uh, the problem is with these kind of uh, celebrity events is everyone's a little sycophantic and they'll laugh at almost anything. But some people are trying to make comparisons to, to Ricky Gervais, and it's a whole different kettle of fish. Ricky Gervais has got a very acerbic wit, and it's a very smart wit, but there's always a bit of a tongue in the cheek when he's saying it. So the celebrities know what they're getting. This was a little bit, I think, from the broadside. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, would you have uh, advised Chris Rock to get out of the way of it, by the way? Uh, yeah, I think, I think he'd be working on his slipping. You know, I think he needs to get back in the ring and do a bit of practice and a little swig, you know, slipping, obviously, those punches. He might have done well. But then again, it is Will Smith, and he has been trained to be a professional boxer level. Yes, exactly right. And, I mean, a lot of people also saying if it wasn't Will Smith, perhaps the outcome might have been different if it was just some punter going up and doing that. Um, probably be arrested now by the LAPD and beaten to a pulp like a piñata. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if, yeah, well, you and I both know what the LAPD are like. Well, exactly. don't we? I've got some good friends there uh, and and they don't tolerate a great deal. Yeah, I think if it was anybody else, I think it would have uh, probably ended up with the show getting taken off air. Uh, they probably would have uh, stalled it for some time. Uh, but because it's Will Smith and he's such a big name. But again, I go back to the fact that, you know, Will, you and I have met lots and lots of celebrities over the years. It's usually the ones you expect to be nice that are horrid and the ones you expect to be horrid mm. that are generally nice. Will Smith falls into the category of you expect him to be nice, and he is actually genuinely nice. I haven't heard anybody say a bad thing about him. Uh, but I think, you know, this is, again, a build-up over time, uh, an ongoing fight between him and Chris Rock. And I think the fact that his wife, you know, what, what is he going to do? I mean, the challenge is Will Smith sits there, takes it. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty protective about the woman in my life. Yeah. If uh, she was being insulted by someone publicly and humiliated, then, you know, I would react accordingly. I don't know whether I'd go up and slap someone necessarily. I might have a quiet word with I them. I was going to say, that's more your style, isn't it? Go and find them later. Be a little bit more stealthy about it, Mike. That's usually <laughs> the best trick. Well, it really is. And I mean, in, the, in your line of work, you protect a lot of famous people as well. Um, is it a big problem for, for, for a lot of celebrities that people want to come up and slap them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it happens quite regularly and sometimes when you least expect it. Uh, again, depending on who it is, if they've got a controversial view, but even those that are somewhat inert and, and one would think are much loved, you're still going to get the odd person out there who has a bit of a grievance or, or wants to wear that grievance by assaulting them in some shape or form. Yeah. It goes on an awful lot, but if the security team's doing their job, we make sure that obviously none of those crazies get close to the star. Well, that's right. I mean, I was doing a show once at Dingwalls in Camden Town and uh, some some mad guy came in 
um, having bought a ticket on the door for the show, absolutely off his face, tried to run at me on the stage. I was completely unaware of it. Fortunately, Dave Levine, uh, who's Jeremy Carl's producer now, uh, managed to stop the guy uh, from getting anywhere close to me. But he, he got to within, like, literally kind of, you know, almost punching distance. Oh, yeah. I mean, it can get unprovoked attacks happening anywhere. But, I mean, for you, Mike, you know, you've got a somewhat... I wasn't even talking about his wife, my... either. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't bought her a drink? Not at all. She wasn't there, apparently. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I mean, it can happen at any time. But but it's, it's very interesting how the authorities will act depending on who's the uh, provocateur in the situation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, th- these, are, these are two sort of peers, if you like, within the same circle of celebrities... Um, this this Oscars will be talked about. I think, as you were saying, it's more likely to be talked about for this than anything else. Mm. It's sort of overshadowed Jessica Chastain's win, uh, the film's win, you know, the, the best picture or whatever it was. I think it was Coda or something. I don't know. I've been more focused on the fight than I was anything yes. else. Yes, um, no, I, th- I think some, some comedy about a, a family of deaf people has apparently won best picture. I don't know. I've not seen it. I probably won't. Nor me, Mike, nor me. I, I haven't seen it either. But I think... You know, in terms of celebrities, it's in these times of wokeness, I think we've we've got to be careful not to overreact. You know, if Chris Rock brings charges, which I think even if he really wanted to, he probably wouldn't because I think he would come under a barrage. And it's really interesting. I think you'll, you'll no doubt get calls and you'll get tweets on this. Um, the people are kind of divided. I put something up on my Instagram today uh, about this. And I've got a really sort of almost split down the middle opinion from people as to whether it was acceptable or unacceptable. I think going up on stage and actually slapping Chris Rock in front of, uh, you know, tens of millions of people who are watching the show, uh, I don't think will have done him any good. And even with his uh, remorseful apology afterwards when he received his Oscar, you know, I think the only person that came out of that was, uh, well, was Denzel Washington, who apparently gave him some good advice afterwards. Well, I mean, I suppose Chris Rock did the right thing as well by not actually responding and by not punching him back, which some people might have been kind of, uh, you know, prone to do. Yeah, well, I think Chris Rock was taken taken very much aback. You could see by his expression. And I mean, and I've seen some... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 
slow-mos of the, the actual hit. And there's, there's no conspiracy about this. This wasn't a staged or set-up situation. You know, I've, I've seen people uh, who have been slapped and they are completely sort of startled rabbit in their reaction and their response. And, and I think, you know, full kudos to Chris Rock to carrying on on the show, but I don't think he had much of a choice. You know, he, he either recovered it super quick uh, or he would have probably suffered as much badly PR as Will Smith might have. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Well, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. We must get together soon. Will Getty's international security expert, commentator, of course. He doesn't think uh, that it was staged. I don't think it was staged either. I think all those people who do think it was staged are the people who think everything's staged, who don't believe anything is actually real. Well, this, I think, is real. You can tell by the way uh, that Chris Rock uh, reacted. You can tell by the way he seemed slightly kind of bewildered afterwards and wasn't quite sure what to say. And when uh, Will Smith started shouting at him, he was clearly still very riled up. I don't think you can act that. I don't think you can put that sort of thing on. He was obviously just very, very irritated by what Chris Rock had said about his wife. Who can blame him? You think I'm wrong? Let me know. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls after this. Independent talk. Proper talk. News talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On talk radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are, of course, the home of common sense and we are at the start of yet another big week here uh, in the world of international journalism, uh, of all sorts of things happening uh, from Ukraine to Washington, D.C. Uh, we'll be popping across uh, to Asia later on in the week and we'll be going to Canada as well. Uh, and, of course, we may even go uh, to South America where there are some things happening over the course of the weekend. President Joe Biden apparently says he wants to remove Vladimir Putin, not just from Ukraine, but from power in Russia together. The White House says that's not really what he meant. They say they're not interested in regime change, which is probably just as well because I'm not quite sure whether Joe Biden knows how he would do that. Uh, we're going to be talking later on in this hour about Prince William, the heir to the throne, uh, who said over the weekend he's not even sure there's going to be a Commonwealth by the time he actually inherits the crown because uh, he may not get it, of course, uh, until after Prince Charles uh, has been king for a while. We've also been talking about the uh, slap from Will Smith to Chris Rock at the Oscars. Uh, a lot of you seeming to think uh, that he should be prosecuted, that there should be some kind of assault charge brought down on Will Smith. Uh, I don't agree. I'm not one of those people. Uh, you may well indeed wish to make that argument. We had a caller just before the news saying he thinks his career is finished. I don't agree with that either. 03444991000. Coming up, Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, we'll be talking about the clocks going forward. We'll be talking about what's going on in Ukraine, uh, the truth, the lies, uh, the war crimes, and who knows what in between. Also, we'll take his view on Rishi Sunak uh, and why he told you that the Chancellor would have to borrow loads more money and you'd be paying for it. 03444991000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens and a man on Sunday. Peter, how are you? Bit uh, jet lagged, thank you. Oh, where have you uh, been? Ridiculous uh, shoving about of the clocks took place yesterday. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> I thought you meant you'd been travelling. Been anywhere? You, you don't need to go anywhere to get jet lagged when this is going on. Yes, you've always been an advocate of not changing the clocks. Uh, tell us why. Well, there's, there's no argument for it, is the real reason. There the, the, the was a man called William Willett, who was a property developer, 
who in the late 19th century used to ride around in the early morning in his, on his horse, and he saw that lots of other people were asleep. <laughs> and this annoyed him. So he began a campaign to make them all get up. And nobody paid any attention. And then in, in the middle of the First World War, the Germans, uh, with typical ruthlessness, uh, decided that it would make their war effort more efficient if they moved all their clocks forward. And so in a state of panic, the British House of Commons did the same thing. We've been stuck with it more or less ever since. There's never been any serious evidence it does it the slightest good. But because it's a habit and because of the inertia and general sort of crowd mentality of everybody, if you, if you suggest at all that the whole thing is pointless and ought to be stopped, uh, people treat you as if you're mad. Uh, it seems to me the crazy guy was, was William yeah. Wade. But is it the case, a... I mean, you, you'll probably know the answer to this. Is it the case that most countries do it? I mean, certainly they do it in the USA. They do it in most of well, the yeah, world, I, Most countries do all kinds of things, don't they? I, it's Many of them completely inexplicable. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. Some countries don't. It's uh, Some American states don't. It, it, but it, it's there, there are all these boosters constantly saying that if we... For instance, in summer, if we all, uh, if, if the clocks are shut forward, some people genuinely believe that it increases the amount of daylight, which is a bit like believing the earth is flat. It's the amount of daylight remains the same. Mm. Other people say, well, if we, have, uh, if, if we have daylight later in the evening, people will go out and, 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 and take part in, in open-air Shakespeare plays or, or spend their time playing tennis or generally recreating themselves. Well, what they will do is exactly what they would do anyway, which is either go to the pub or sit slumped at home in front of the TV. Yeah. It doesn't make any difference the way people behave. I think there are some people who, who actually think that if we do it, it will increase the takings at various uh, commercial establishments. But again, there's, there's no evidence that this actually happens. Mm. Is there not this, some this argument not made in Scotland that the children going to school in the morning have it lighter when the clocks go forward? Well, these bargains are made. The, the problem with that argument is, and I, I'm very sympathetic to it, is that uh, during the 70s and 80s, children almost entirely stopped going to school on foot or on bicycles. And one of the biggest social changes in this country was that people thought, began to think the roads were too dangerous mm. and started taking their children to school by car, which was the reason for the enormous traffic jam-ups in every British city yeah. at, at school arrival time and school going home time. Children no longer go to school. So it's, it's a good argument, or would be, apart from that. Basically, what's the point of messing around with this? We do one sensible thing, uh, which we did with the arrival of the railways, which also, of course, is important for broadcasting, which is we agree on a, on a unified time zone mm. for each, each country or practical area. Yeah. That's, that's completely sensible. If you didn't do that, then trains would, would leave London at a time for instance, I think three or four minutes uh, later than, they, than, than, than the time in Oxford where I live. And that would lead to all kinds of timetable confusion. It's ridiculous. I've written a long article called Now is Not the Time in which all this is discussed. But that's reasonable. But moving the, the British time so that you're actually observing the time of Berlin in Germany, it just seems to me to be an act of mm. madness. Why would you do that? Time is a real thing. It, the, noon is an actual event. The sun is, is in an actual physical relation to the surface of the earth. And therefore, if you start saying that noon is one o'clock, uh, you're fiddling around with, mm. with, with measures. Now, if somebody said all speedometers would be calibrated to read 10 miles an hour faster than they, than they really were, uh, if your bathroom scales could be cal calibrated to, to tell you that you were thin when you were not, uh, <laughs> if, 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 all, if, if all the other measures were, were messed around, people would think we'd gone completely do uh, you, you have to accept that reality is reality. 
but in this one instance, we we actually do persuade ourselves of a complete untruth that you can have extra daylight if you mess around with the mm. clocks. And for me, and the spring has been progressing rather beautifully for the past few weeks. The evenings have been drawing out and have been getting gently lighter, mm. uh, like a sort of gentle disrobing. And then we suddenly have this wild striptease when it gets lighter in the evening. But also, I am forced to go to work an hour earlier. Now, my employer would never ask me to do this. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't be interested anyway, and they wouldn't dare. Yeah. But if, if people are told, oh, you've got to put your clock forward, they all immediately put their clocks forward and go to work an hour earlier. Now, why would you do that? But any, let's say, any attempt to suggest that this, is, that this is ridiculous is met not with, hmm, yeah, you might have a point, but actual howls and shouts <laughs> and expressions. Nobody will think mike about anything no but that's where we are now isn't it i mean if you think about anything it's 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 a sort of crime but everybody's like that now about absolutely everything i mean even the will smith situation which i'm sure you don't really have a view on or probably don't care about Um, especially um but you know he either he's he's either um, a man that needs to be absolutely prosecuted to within an inch of his life and practically put in prison or uh, it's all a fake you know there's really no room for middle ground anymore on anything well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, that's a, It's a different sort of thing. I mean, here, as it, I often say, in 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 the modern Western world, it's a huge disadvantage in any discussion on any subject to know anything about it. Yes, it's much better to be totally ignorant and to share the current prejudice and to join the crowd. Yes, it's I mean, I must say, when you leave the crowd, nothing but howls and screams of. of, 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 of No, listen, well, luckily you've got broad shoulders and you've been well prepared for that over all manner of different issues, which some of which we'll get to today. I must admit, I do quite like longer lighting light in the evening. It suits me me better. They aren't aren't longer. They're exactly (laughs) the same length. But it feels like it's light. The evenings are not longer. Well, let me tell you, when I lived in Scotland, I found it quite unnerving because in the the winter uh, months, it was practically never light at all. Uh, in Glasgow, it was light for maybe two hours a day. Some days it never really got light at all. And in the summertime, it hardly ever got dark. But that's the problem with Scotland. I mean, it's like that. Yeah. As people say to me also, well, what about when it gets light at four o'clock in the morning? I say, well, it does get light at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> this is life. This is the world. This is the arrangement of things. This is, rain falls down vertically when it's wet. Get used to it. Don't try and, 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 and con yourself into believing that, it's, that, that you can make it not happen. By fiddling around with the clocks and making everybody else, I get I get letters from people saying, "But I'm a golfer and I really like the I, I really like the clocks going forward because it means I get more time." I said, "All you need to do is get up an hour earlier. <laughs> then you don't need to bother me. But if you make me get up an hour earlier, I won't forgive you. Not ever. It's, I don't like getting up. An it's hour brilliant. Early. It's, it's actually a... damaging. Yes, it is, it is statistically shown that is the number it, of heart attacks increases really? after the clocks go forward. Yeah." They do. Is that not maybe a... It's like jet lag. It's bad for people. Is it not possibly a a symptom of people maybe doing more exercise or something? And that's why they have more heart attacks. No, it's it's, it's very like jet lag. All of us have had jet lag. And even one hour of change can can mess your circadian rhythms about quite a lot. There's, There's no question this happens. It's, uh, and it doesn't happen when the clocks go back again to their natural time. All I know is that when I used to really hate it was when I used to do an overnight show on Talk Sport, and in the autumn I would do a show from one till six in the morning. I'd do the first hour, then I'd have to do it again. So actually, it wasn't a five-hour show; it was a six-hour show. I said, "Can't we just play the, the you, first hour well, out?" And you you actually did it on on that night when the when, yes. when the mysterious, mysterious hour which vanishes into it, it, yeah, it, it, it was it, as if it never happened. happened. 
eternal time prison when right. the box goes forward comes back. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I only began to understand this properly when I flew backwards over the international date line some years ago and, and lived an entire day twice. <laughs> Do you know, that's a great question. I'm sorry well, to be so sort of... Siberia. Yeah. I was in Siberia and I, and I, I, went, I, I flew from, from Providenia in, in Russia uh, on, on Monday morning and arrived in Nome, Alaska the previous Sunday afternoon. <laughs> well, that's great. I used to I used to on on that very overnight show. I used to pose these kind of imponderable questions, such as if you got on a Concorde in London and flew west around the world, would you eventually get back before you left? Well, all I can tell you from this is again from most experience. You could leave London at lunchtime and arrive in Washington DC at lunchtime. Yes. Yes, it was amazing. But anyway, on to more serious matters, I suppose. I mean, talking of the, 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 the paucity of, of reality and, and the uh, inability of people to see nuance, I've been, been over the last sort of 12 hours or so accused of being a war criminal sympathiser uh, because of something I, I put on Twitter where that video, which we don't know uh, the origins of and we don't know where it came from at all, uh, I was asked about it. I said, well, given what some of these people have been through, I might well do the same thing if I was them, which does not mean that I in any way endorse what they're doing um, but you've been involved in this conversation as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, th I think you, you have to be very careful with this sort of thing. Of course, a, one of the terrible things about war, uh, especially the sort of semi-civil war, as, as I think the, the, the current conflict between the Ukrainians and the Russian invaders is, because they are people who speak either the same language or a very similar one, a very similar culture. The trouble with war is that it, it, it causes people to tear away the normal restraints and to behave in, in, in disgusting ways. Most of us, I think, if, if we are honest with, with ourselves, know that we are capable of acts of cruelty and, mm. and savagery and, 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 and unmerciful behavior. Uh, but we hope very much that we never do this uh, and that, that this, we should be restrained from doing it. And I think it's, it, it really is very important at times like these to make sure that wars which are bad enough even if they're conducted according to the laws of war, don't spill over in, into worse. And people say, well, these Geneva Conventions, so what? And there are always massacres of Christmas war. It's true. Terrible things have been done by both sides in, in war. But the truth is that those who were captured by the powers which had signed the Geneva Conventions in World War II were treated far better than those who were captured by those powers, such as Japan and the Soviet Union, which had not signed. And I think we should always be on the side of civilization this way. I think it's very dangerous to let ourselves be carried away. And this is half my problem about the debate about this war at the mm. moment, is that it's becoming hysterical, that people are losing a sense of proportion and they're, 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 they're treating it as if it was a cartoon battle between good and evil. Frankly, there's more nuance in the Batman strips than a lot of the coverage mm. of what's going on at the moment. It is not that simple. And also, I have to say that once a soldier has surrendered, having been defeated in battle, then he needs to be treated humanely. It could happen to the sons, brothers, fathers of many people who have not, been, in most cases, chosen to go into that war. They're under the command of other people. We have to be very careful what we license against our enemies, because I absolutely promise you that if we allow it to be done to our enemies, we are allowing it to be done to ourselves. And that's what half the problem. I, I, I actually believe in absolute morality. There are some things which are totally wrong mm. at all times and which you cannot do. But most people work on a sort of golden rule where you try not to do 
to other people what you wouldn't have to yeah. have, to have no, done. No, listen, to I, I think on I think, that basis we have to be very careful what we yeah, say. Yeah, I think I think almost all rational people would would agree with you, but but as you say, I terrible so. terrible things do happen um, in wars. You've seen them, I've seen them, um, and and it's got nothing to do with whether the Geneva Convention is being upheld by people. They just do awful terrible things. It has to do with that because if the, if there were no Geneva Conventions, there would, it, it would be worse. Uh, to say that it's imperfect is, is, is true, uh, but it's not to say that we shouldn't we shouldn't carry on making efforts to, to make sure that it's as near perfect yeah. as possible. No, I mean the other problem. Every, every opportunity that, 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 that we, we we have to emphasise uh, that uh, that people should behave chivalrously in war, we should take. And, and where people behave unchivalrously and with cruelty and mercilessness, we should condemn it, whoever does it. Outside yeah, but there is, there is also, is there not, a bit of a double standard? Because there's nothing in the Geneva Convention that says you can't bomb the hell out of a town uh, and make sure that all the civilians are either dead or have left or evacuated. I mean, that's not against well, the Geneva Convention, is it? It's true. The world moves before 1939 to outlaw uh, the bombing of towns. And they came very close to fruition, and last never did. And the, the British policy at the outbreak of the Second World War was not to do this. A policy which, interestingly, was reversed uh, in 1940 by the British government just before the, the famous German bombing of Rotterdam. Uh, and we then went on to behave, in my view, disgracefully, bombing German civilians in their homes, mm. something which I, I get into terrible trouble or repeatedly saying was was wrong, uh, and put, it puts us in a rather odd position now, going around condemning other people doing the same thing. I really do wish that we could come up with a convention which which prevented it, and it, it would be it would be a good thing if it, if it could come about. But at the moment, there isn't any such. And when when you hear people here saying, "Well, the, the Russians do these terrible things. They did it in Aleppo. They they, they did it in Grozny." This is perfectly true, but they do need to examine uh, what these what Israel has done in Gaza, uh, and I'm a supporter of the state of Israel, but I completely deplore its behavior in Gaza on this, and we, we need to look at what's, what our forces did in, in Mosul, and in Raqqa, uh, and in Fallujah, and people who were allied to us. I'm afraid that the, the there's a very low level of, of, of morality in, in, in warfare at the moment, and I don't want to see it getting any lower, mm. and it's certainly not the case that, that, that our side, as you might say, has been perfect uh, and, and and well behaved in this, either in recent times or in the past 70 or 80 years. But the difficulty as well in this particular war is that so little of it is verifiable. There aren't very many um, journalists that, that, that you and I both know and trust in lots of parts of the country. I mean, Ian Burrell has been filing some great reports from, from inside uh, Ukraine, and he's a guy who, who we probably both know pretty well, and somebody that certainly you would, you would trust. Um, but an awful lot of these videos that are emerging, you don't really don't know where they were filmed, you don't know whether how old they are, you really just don't know anything about them. But people seem willing to believe that they are what they are said to be. Well, I believe very strongly that people should be sceptical about anything which isn't verified. Uh, I think that uh, some news organisations uh, have taken to accepting uh, unverified information much too readily. Uh, when I saw these videos of, of apparent atrocities against Russian prisoners of war last night, I was very careful to say, and I continue to say, these are unverified. I don't know if, if, if that's sure we all remember uh, Piers Morgan's Daily Mirror when he was when he was badly hoaxed by what appeared to be convincing stuff and it's it's not uh, it, it's not impossible to do you have to be constantly on your guard mm. and never ever accept something as true but i think that's an absolute rule uh, again it, it, it may suit a lot of people currently to believe claims of atrocities that, that, that the russians have perpetrated and it may well be the russians have perpetrated them. 
but that until we know, we should be careful to, to, to record these as allegations. We should also remember in this particular war uh, that it really began in 2014 and that there is no doubt from United Nations reports that the, both the Ukrainians and the Russians have committed uh, what I regard as atrocities mm. against civilians uh, in the war in the East. And this has been going on for a very long time, uh, largely unreported by yeah. Western media. And this, a simple realization of that, I think, should help us to restrain ourselves from saying that only one side has done bad things yeah. in this war or will do bad things. Because it's not true. And it, 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 there are lots of other complications as well, which people do need to think about. Yes. Uh, well, anyone who's been anywhere... If we get the temperature down, we might move towards something approaching peace. And yes. That's the only hope for the civilians in this. Who are the, who are, uh, imagine being one of these people bombed out of your home, driven onto the open roads where, where you could be bombed again, homeless, uh, hurrying abroad to a country where you don't speak the language, no idea when you're ever going to get home, uh, quite possibly injured into the bargain. This is, uh, this is intolerable to think this is happening to anybody if, if you're living on the same planet. And we must, I think, work as hard as we can in, in any way available to us to make sure this comes to an end as mm. soon as possible. Yes. Only mercy, the only mercy in war is a swift end. And we, and we must be careful not to crank things up and, and, and increase the warlike mood, and, 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 and which could actually spread this war. Well, you might well, want to have a word with Joe spread. Biden, who seems to think it's a great idea to come out and say well, it's, that, it's, uh, that it's, Vladimir it's Putin must be removed from power. It's distressing. I, I, actually, I've I always had quite a soft spot for Joe Biden, who, who I think as a, as a man and a, and a politician has been quite interesting. Well, I think we see now somebody who appears to be in, in, in decline, and it's, 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 it, it is distressing to watch it, and it, it, it makes you wonder who really is in charge of the clattering train. Mm. Uh, again, if it, if it were to widen into, into an attempt at re regime change in Russia, uh, that could lead to all kinds of other grave complications. Mm. And if Russia, if, if Putin falls, would Russia as a country even survive? No, of course. Or would it, would it, as it was suggested by Edward Lucas, an interesting piece uh, in the Times today, would, it, would, would Russia actually break up into, into disparate parts? Mm. And would that mean better times or would that mean even greater chaos in a rather dangerous area? I don't know, but we're playing with fire. Mm. Yeah, very so much. don't pour petrol on it. Very much. We've only literally got a minute left, Peter. Um, just want to close with your main piece in the column this week about uh, Rishi Sunak and the price yeah. of lockdown. Uh, it's quite expensive, isn't it? Yes, and I told you so, and that is, is my message. Just so often is the case. I told you so at the time, and if if, if, I had, if if more people had joined me and if more people had listened, we might have prevented this this considerable folly. It's also increasingly coming out in the mainstream that the figures on which the Great Panic were based are, are highly questionable. Mm. And again, I told you so. I get tired of saying it. I just wish to, on, on any occasion that if I said something at the time, somebody might pay any attention when it would do any good. Yes, well, I can only apologise, Peter, for putting you on an hour earlier than we were supposed to. But <laughs> I was forced into it by the clocks changing. <laughs> Peter, see you soon. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens there uh, speaking about a great many things, some of which you may wish uh, to say you agree with, some of which you may not agree with. We've been asking you for your stories as well this morning about hospitals and what they've been doing. Um, I've got this from Steve. He says, my mum has terminal cancer and we travelled down from Gateshead to the Isle of Wight to see her two days before she left. She was admitted to hospital. We were allowed one hour per day, probably the last time I will see her alive. So shocking and very cruel. 
What the hell is the NHS doing? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We'll come back to your calls very shortly on the problems with hospitals in this country. It's absolutely outrageous that people are not being allowed to visit their loved ones. In Scotland, apparently no visitors at all uh, in any hospital. Uh, in many hospitals here in England, it would seem uh, you're not allowed to visit anybody for more than one hour and only one person at a time per day. So if there's two of you, say you've got, you've got your mother and your father, you've got a brother and a sister, um, you've got a, a son and a daughter, only one of them can see you for an hour only. It's not right. Uh, don't forget, you can watch all of what we do here at Talk Radio uh, TV on television as well. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube, now Amazon Fire TV as well. Simply go to talkradio.tv uh, or download the app from the App Store, uh, the Talk Radio TV app, of course. And as you heard uh, in the news, Talk TV coming soon as well, uh, as if you didn't have enough to entertain you. It's going to get even better. Absolutely extraordinary. Loads more uh, to do, of course. Uh, we're going to be talking to more of you uh, about uh, the situation in various hospitals up and down the country. Uh, let's talk to Emma Webb now, though, because, of course, uh, once again, I'm afraid the wokists have struck a blow for ignorance. They basically decided to put a trigger warning on the Declaration of Independence in the National Archives. Emma, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the National Archives, you know, suddenly you might get really, 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 really upset because of the War of Independence. Nowhere is safe anymore from trigger warnings, it seems. We need trigger warnings for trigger warnings. This is um, obviously outrageous. The historian Andrew Roberts has said that um, obviously any 60, uh, sorry, 18th century document is going to be, as they said, biased um, and out- outdated. Yes. And he said that anybody who thinks otherwise is frankly a moron. I can't say that I disagree with him at all. And um, he did say, however, that there is one aspect of this um, Declaration of Independence that is actually um, biased and inaccurate. And he said that that is the description of George III. And so Andrew Roberts has just released an autobiography, or not an autobiography, a biography of um, George III. I have to say, I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited to. Yes. Um, Well, I mean, history is, as as, as famously once described, nasty, brutish and short. I mean, it's not particularly nice, an awful lot of history, is it? Uh, and he, he essentially he essentially says that um, George III is one of the most um, libeled and misrepresented sovereigns in history. And it seems that actually the Declaration of Independence and its pretty, um, pretty, pretty harsh description of George III um, is actually being quite biased and inaccurate. Mm. But the whole like the whole idea of having to put trigger warnings on an historical document like this, you know, we've seen trigger warnings being um issued for things like Romeo and Juliet at the Globe, for Hemingway's um, books. We've seen it being issued for Philip Pullman and uh, J.K. Rowling because it might raise difficult discussions around sex, sex, gender and Mm. identity. 
Party. And it's clear that, you know, we've got a plague of trigger warnings at the moment. And now this is extending to historical documents. And it, it really um, just goes to show that this is, um, you know, the extension of the whole debate about free speech really does stretch into the realms of our discussions about how we approach our own history, because we've seen for the last two years, people seeking to cancel various historical figures. And now um, we're issuing trigger warnings for historical documents. I think it suggests that we've got um, an unreasonable way of approaching our past. Uh, and as well, that um, there's always this assumption that the people who are going to places like, in this case, the, the National Archives in Washington, mm. um, are so fragile that they can't read an historical document and see it within its context, that they need to be babied and are not able to make up their own mind about these things when they see them. And I think it's um, part of, as we've discussed before, Mike, a growing infantilizing mm. culture where adults are treated like children. Well, exactly right. And I mean, I would say normally at this point, you know, does anybody actually complain about this stuff but they do don't they people do say oh that really upset me when i saw that or when i read that their explanation according to the national archives spokesman um spokeswoman in fact so i don't know what that what that means i'm not sure they're allowed spokesperson, to call like. spokesperson surely to heavens if we are using documents in a talk or webinar for example then we would endeavor to make people aware that the documents may contain terms that we would not use today really I mean, you know, of course there are t terms that you wouldn't use today because it's a very old document. I mean, what's the problem? I think it's clear that no one today would use the word savages to describe Native Americans, as I think the um, the, the Declaration of Independence does. Right. It, it is it is this infantilization. But as you say, you know, sometimes people do complain about these things. Usually it's a very small minority of people, sometimes on social media, kicking up a fuss and institutions and organizations immediately bend to the demands of this tiny minority. Mm. But often it's actually um, a, an imagined offense. They imagine a community of people who have been offended by something when nobody's actually complained and they they almost seem to regard it as being you know part of their reputational management they yeah. you know they're, they're thinking in terms of their brand and they want to be seen as being as politically correct as possible and so they 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 imagine communities of people who may be offended by things so we don't really even need people to complain anymore the whole idea of a trigger warning is um is preventing offense from taking place in the first place as you know i mentioned romeo and Juliet and adding trigger warnings to um, Shakespeare's play at the Globe Theatre when they put on their production of Romeo and Juliet they actually gave the phone number of the Samaritans in case anybody was so badly affected by the performance it's just ridiculous um, and I think it because I say because people are you know they're, they're imagining that there is this new group of highly sensitive individuals who could be so psychologically harmed by things that really they shouldn't be, uh, it ends up perpetuating and proliferating and you end up with absurd situations like this, trigger warning being put on the um, Declaration of Independence. And like I say, I think Andrew Roberts absolutely right that anybody who doesn't expect a document like this to be outdated is frankly a moron. Oh, quite. Um Similarly, I mean, might as well mention this in passing. I don't know if you've seen the story from, um, I think it was yesterday. Um, it was highlighted uh, by somebody called Charlotte Deakins, a Tours pub in Bellstone in Devon, uh, calling something from a ploughman's um, lunch to a plough person's lunch. Uh, they've now deleted the tweet where they were advertising it as part of their new menu. Uh, it cost, uh, cost £12.50, which is actually a real hate crime, as far as I'm concerned. Pickled onion, chutney, sourdough bread, cheese and ham. £12.50 for that. You must be joking. Um, but anyway, they've, they've, they've called it a plough person's lunch on the basis that women also plough. 
it's, it's not, not really. A, I mean, does that mean you have to have a plow in order to eat one? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, it, it's mad. And I think this story was reported that they were being tongue in cheek in, in renaming it in this way. I don't know if that's true or not. If they were renaming it seriously as a plow person's lunch, it reminds me of the um, for a, a long, long time ago. There was a, a discussion around the renaming of gingerbread men as gingerbread persons uh, around about the same time that rumours were were going around that Bar Bar Black Sheep had been renamed as Bar Bar Rainbow Sheep. And it seems to be on the same level of insanity as that kind of thing um but i don't know you know maybe they were being tongue-in-cheek in, cheek, in yeah. which case it's actually quite a quite an amusing quite an amusing gag yes and what about this whole dominic raab pledge that he's going to stop the wokists from taking over by uh, bringing in a new law which apparently gives free speech in his words legal supremacy i don't know how that works or how it's going to work this is an interesting one because I think, you know, Dominic Raab's announcement is a very welcome one. Of course, the government should be doing everything they can to ensure that the weight um, in terms of our rights is placed on free speech. This is um, relating to uh, the potential reforming of the Human Rights Act, which was mm. brought in by Tony Blair 20 years ago. Um, and there, it's to do with the balancing of rights. So um, in this case, and, and you'll love this, Mike, um, because it relates to Meghan Markle, um, putting more of an emphasis on free speech rather than on privacy, as we saw in the case of um, Meghan Markle's yes. attempts to sue a paper for um, for publishing things about her. But also it's um, in relation to cancel culture, because, of course, we've seen many people being um, cancelled over the last couple of years and, and essentially persecuted for expressing, for example, gender critical beliefs. Mm. So I think it's a very important and welcome thing. But I think what I would say is that you have to look at um, what people do rather than what they say. And if you look at the government's recent online safety um, bill announcement, they said that in the in the um, Department for Media and Sports and Culture, the DCMS press release, they said that that uh, piece of legislation was going to protect free speech. But when you actually look at the detail, it does everything but mm. it actually places a heavier duty on censoring speech online, speech that, going back to what we were saying about trigger warnings, is regarded as being psychologically harmful to adults, but would be perfectly legal to express offline. It, it suggests putting more of a weight on the censorship of that when it comes to social media companies taking things down, and only re requires them to have regard for free speech, which was is actually very weak. Mm. So actually, if the government want to put more of a priority on protecting freedom of speech, what we need to see here is the details. So maybe we'll see the details of these proposals in the Queen's speech and in the coming months and, and possibly the coming years. Um, but really, the devil is in the details. So we need to see exactly what these proposals are, because Sometimes the government will say that something is, you know, going to protect free speech or have proper regard for protecting free speech, but actually in the details can sometimes undermine it. Yeah, I think that's right, because only this morning, uh, Keir Starmer once again failed miserably to define what a woman was. Uh, got very nervous and sort of started sweating a bit when he was uh, doing an interview and he just couldn't do it. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with these people. It's just literally he must get triggered every time he thinks about the question. The fear in politicians' eyes when they're asked what a woman is. Uh, <laughs> it just shows that we've got ourselves into a really mad situation because we keep repeatedly seeing, particularly Labour politicians, jumping behind the couch and hiding whenever women are mentioned. Uh, we saw that, I think it was the BBC had to retract um, or to, to, to edit one of their articles where they'd referred to um, 
to I think it was in the context of endometriosis mm. they hadn't used the word woman they'd avoided using the they I think they used the phrase um people assigned female at birth mm. and people <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a mad situation where everybody seems to to be quite happy to say that trans women are women but when you ask them what a woman is they say that they don't know yeah yeah, it's uh, it's a right old mess, isn't it? Well, listen, uh, Emma, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. Uh, thanks again, Emma Webb there, uh, talking to us about the nonsensical trigger warnings that are now being put on things, including uh, on the Declaration of Independence, which sits in the National Archive. Uh, apparently, if you go and look at it, you might get upset by some of the wording. For heaven's sake, I'll tell you what's upsetting me is some of the wording that I'm getting from some of you about what the NHS is doing. John says this, I lost my dad recently to prostate cancer. I was not allowed to see him, even though I was told he might not make it through the night. On the night my dad passed, I was not allowed to see him as my sister was already there. I had to arrange a phone call to try and see him. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. We'll take more of your calls coming up. This is Talk Radio. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.